Hello, Tom Myers here. If you're like me and you've got a lot to say, a lot of stories to share, a lot of opinions to give, then listen up. I'm going to talk about something that's going to take your passion for podcasts to the next level. I'm talking about the 7 Million Bikes podcast course. This is the podcasting course you need. Imagine having the skills, the knowledge, and the confidence to create, produce, and grow a successful podcast. And you're not doing it alone. I'm talking about Neil Mackay, the podcast guy, founder of 7 Million Bikes Podcasts. He knows what it takes to turn your passion into a podcast that stands out. He's going to guide you through everything from podcast ideas that resonate to nailing that audio production and even editing your episodes like a pro. With 23 tutorials and over three hours of video content, this course is packed with practical tips, real-world examples, and everything you need to know to get started. Just $97 for a wealth of knowledge that'll set you up for podcasting success it's a no-brainer think about it less than a hundred bucks to unleash your creativity share your story and potentially even turn your passion into a profitable business people like ian payton who's taken the course launched their own podcast and already in the top 10 percent of podcasts worldwide and you could be next the seven million bikes podcast course is your ticket to podcasting greatness. Go to the link in my show notes right now and let's make your podcasting dream a reality. Hi, I'm A.A. Ron, the owner and producer of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. Bombing Run, the original comedy combat game show. It's an hour's worth of comedians clashing with their jokes. And soon to be released, Orbs Wacky World, a talk show with a twist. It will be a mix of comedy, unusual questions and music with orb as the host oddly funny productions we might be odd but we bring the funny to you that's a-w-d-l-y funny productions hey everyone it's me again if you're tired of listening to this show with all these ads in the way go ahead and subscribe to my patreon in addition to listening to this show without the ads you also get extended versions of these episodes and bonus clips as well doesn't cost that much you can get plans for as low as one dollar a month you can show the love and your support just go to patreon.com slash tom myers spelled m-y-e-r-s and subscribe and listen and enjoy today again that's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Tom Myers versus the rest of the world. This is 2021 Best of and Unheard Bits. So far, part four. In this episode, we will feature some of our best moments from 2021, plus some segments that didn't quite make the initial airing. Joining me tonight are Jeff Heisen, Abby Mello, Gina Brown, Michelle Wojcikowski, Mike Wally Walter, Ward Morrow, Devine Kerr, Ken Water, Caitlin Rupert, Chip Jones, and Scott Reed. France withdrew its ambassador to the United States after we made a deal with Great Britain, which gave Australia nuclear-powered submarines. Pissing off France might be the only thing Biden can do that would make Trump supporters happy. (laughs) Short of actually dying in office. (laughs) A man in Dayton, Ohio, was arrested after he allegedly tried to have sex with a van. You know what they say. If this van's a rockin', he's put his cock in. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh tested positive for COVID-19. 
He is quarantined, so now he knows how it feels to be held somewhere against his will. (laughs) Cases of the Delta variant continue to go up in certain areas of the country. Unlike the initial version of the virus, this one has the capability of inflicting serious health problems on children. In fact, the Delta variant has ravaged so many kids that it's been given its own entry on the sex offenders registry. (laughs) Donald Trump gave a deposition in one of many lawsuits filed against him. It's an historic moment. Not that it's a former president sitting for sworn testimony, but it was the first time Trump held a Bible without ambushing protesters with tear gas. (laughs) The CEO of Hasbro passed away. Details about his funeral service weren't released. However, word is that the casket and the tombstone will be sold separately. (laughs) (laughs) The United States House of Representatives voted to hold former Trump advisor Steve Bannon in contempt for refusing to comply with a subpoena to appear before the Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Who would have known someone with his fashion sense and grooming habits wouldn't make good legal decisions? Steve Bannon looks like Andrew Breitbart if he survived the heart attack. It looks as though the new infrastructure bill won't have a tax on billionaires that Elizabeth Warren wanted. If you think about it, billionaires have always had it pretty easy. In fact, The only time a billionaire has ever had a bad day is when Jeffrey Epstein was arrested. Oh. (laughs) GOP Congressman Adam Kinzinger announced that he won't be seeking re-election. The last time the political career of a moderate Republican was ended like this, it was at the hand of John Wilkes Booth. (laughs) Kyle Rittenhouse's classmates at Arizona State now want him expelled as a student from their campus. Do you know how psychotic you have to be? for Arizona State students to want you out? (laughs) That's like Nambla saying Kevin Spacey is too creepy to attend their meetings. (laughs) During his time as a student at West Virginia University, Joe Manchin played football. Based upon his style as a legislator since Joe Biden's inauguration, it's clear that he played in the days before helmets. In this video, Manchin's constituents <laughs> confront him about his lack of support on various measures from voting rights to infrastructure. The meeting goes as well as one can when the public servant is on the deck of a boat looking down upon his constituents who are in kayaks. Let me talk if you can. Where are you all from? Anybody from West Virginia? We have yes. West Virginians? We have a lot of West Virginians. God bless you all. But gang, we're working hard. We really are. We're going to continue to in good faith. I really. We want to get a good bill. It's a balanced bill. It's well done. And I know it won't be enough for some and it'll be too much for others. In West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is a little bit different than it used to be. There's a lot of poverty. What are you going to do for the poor in West Virginia? We're going to be working everything we can to create good opportunities. And we need to tax the rich. Oh, I agree with that. I definitely agree. That's the one number of thing we should be doing is fixing the tax code so everybody pays their fair share. We should be also negotiating for lower drug prices. We should be doing all these things. I agree with you 1,000%. We're all on the same page, gang. We really are. I'm not sure that's the right message to say when you're standing on the deck of a yacht and you're yelling at a bunch of kayaks. We're all on the same page. Clearly, you're not. I mean, like, I agree with you, Captain. Take us away. <laughs> I agree. Tax the rich. Excuse me. Where did my porter go? <laughs> but did you like the the uh, one of his answers was, "Well, we need to fix the tax code." 
That's not what we're talking about here. No. That's something that everybody wants. Yeah. And he just says that. And it, it doesn't mean anything. Nothing. Yeah. It's empty. Yeah. Have you ever been to West Virginia? Yeah, spent any time there. Yeah. I, I, trying to get elected to office in West Virginia is going to be pretty tough for any Democrat. And I think he's just trying to position himself so that if somebody comes along later and says, Joe Manchin's just part of those radical socialists, you know, people would be like, Joe Manchin, a radical socialist? Really? The guy who held up everything? I mean, I think he's positioning himself to get reelected. Um, I, I think, you know, he's the kind of guy you can probably cut a deal with, you know, in the back room at the last minute. And he'll, he'll move. When he was like, West Virginia has changed into what? Like, and, and the woman's like, yeah, we've got a lot of poverty. Tell me when they didn't. I, I'm not sure when, maybe it's me. When in the last X number of years, West Virginia has not been the place where you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to go make it in West Virginia. That's not where you go. So when, when did it all of a sudden go work? and make a really big change. It's to me, it's always been sort of what it is. They do have that casino out there, to be fair. Okay, they've got a casino. (laughs) Anybody can look at stats, figures, and scenarios and construct what may be going on in the mind of the American worker. That's why it's important to talk to workers themselves, which is what PBS NewsHour does here. We don't want to do this anymore. They just didn't care about me anymore. I'm done. I am not working here anymore. I don't feel safe. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, it just kind of crystallized a lot of the ways that they don't care about employee safety. Sam Weston used to work at the front desk of a hotel in Superior, Wisconsin. I actually took the initiative to place signs around the hotel lobby saying, wear a mask, hey, keep a six foot distance. And my hotel management specifically tore those signs down and directly told me not to put those kinds of signs up because it would cause a panic. My job was no longer totally focused on librarianship. I started to feel like I was a mom every single day. Pull your mask up, pull your mask up. Oh, I don't wanna wear a mask. Well, I'm sorry, you can't come into the library without a mask on. Anytime I had a family emergency, I was treated horribly. For example, my husband passed away in 2015 And I called and said that I needed a a week off, and they told me how inconvenient it was and that it wasn't going to work out. But it was just years and years of abuse and mistreatment. We've both been career people for our entire adult lives, and it just got to be too much. But now a question you may be asking. How can so many people afford to resign? Sam Weston is living off savings as he pursues writing and a freelance career in filmmaking. I've been investing actually in cryptocurrency a little bit, um, and that's been increasing uh, the amount of runway that I have. Seems like a risky way to (laughs) stay afloat. It is risky, but it's better than working for somebody else who doesn't care for your health and well-being and who won't give you a leg up to actually do something that feels meaningful. I refer to uh, the impossible task a lot when I'm talking to people about your, your work environment and, and the things that your um, boss asks of you. And the impossible task is when they give you a task that you're probably going to fail. And then when you fail it, they fault you for it. And they say, well, now I can take more away from you because you have failed this thing. Mm. And I think this is when the impossible task is turning on 
big business. So for once, instead of it being a thing where it's, it's little and it's micro, um, COVID has turned it around to be the impossible task that nobody wants to do anymore. Nobody wants to do the impossible task because it used to be, okay, you have a cold. We'll come in anyway. I, we need you. We don't have anybody else. You need to come in. And then you go in and you mess something up. Maybe you miscalculate something in the, in the cash drawer. And then your boss goes, well, but you miscalculated this. So essentially you stole money from us. So we have to fire you. And then you say, but you told me to come in and I didn't feel good. And I was on NyQuil and like, I don't know, it's a whole thing. And then they go, well, that's not our fault. That's your fault. You should have told us you were that sick. And so now it's turned to a different thing where with COVID, the, 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 the employees are going, this is an impossible task I'm not willing to do. I'm no longer willing to do this. And in fact, the rest of the country is not willing to do this because if we come in, it might mean that we go visit our grandma next week and they die. Or we might, you know, do something that is wrong because we're doing the job of three people because you can't get anybody else in. And I think for the first time, big business is having the repercussions of the impossible task. Facebook's practice of selectively allowing content that can bring in the most revenue despite its effects on the health and welfare of its users and on political discourse is the backbone of its operations. Of course, it takes a whistleblower to bring this to the forefront of mainstream national media coverage, as we can see in this CBS News segment. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is strongly defending the company he co-founded after stunning allegations from a former employee. In congressional testimony, whistleblower Frances Haugen said Facebook chooses profit over public safety. She shared thousands of internal documents and also spoke with 60 Minutes. Now Zuckerberg is publicly denying claims the platform is designed to reward anger and division. Nicole Killian is on Capitol Hill for us. Nicole, good morning to you. There's a long note from Mark last night. What else is he saying? Yeah, that's right, Tony. And Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the accusations against his company are not true and don't make sense. And while he disputes the whistleblower's accusations, he says that he does agree Congress should update Internet regulations. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. In her first congressional testimony since blowing the whistle on Facebook, ex-employee Frances Haugen detailed what she described was a culture of secrecy and complacency that put profits over safety. Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. And she pinned the blame squarely on her former boss, Mark Zuckerberg. In the end, the buck stops with Mark. There is no one currently holding Mark accountable but himself. The buck stops with him. It, it, the buck stops with him. Haugen called the social media giant morally bankrupt. She compared them to Big Tobacco and said the company's own research shows its Instagram platform can be harmful and addictive to teens. The way that they pick the content in Instagram for young users, for all users, um, amplifies preferences. So mm -hmm. Facebook knows that they, are, that they are leading young users to anorexia content. What gets me is... Like people are shocked that a website started by college age males to rank their female classmates is targeting women with advertising and false body positive imagery. Or that a company is going to always choose profit over healthy, you know, healthy choices or whatever. This take it outside of social media. It's no different from any other 
for-profit organization, and frankly, having worked in the nonprofit world for even some nonprofit organizations, every organization that a person works for is out for money, and it takes consumer watchdogs to come in, or whistleblowers, to come in and light a fire and just say, hey, you know, X company, you need to start thinking about whatever. Nobody would just be like, no, I think I don't want to. That was also the whole thing about, you know, Instagram and we, well, yeah. we know we're giving eating disorders to teenage girls, but you know, yeah. plus there was the comparison to the way we went after uh, big tobacco in the nineties. And, you know, ironically enough, it's almost as though like tobacco is now safer for kids than Instagram. Cause you know, at least you can treat <laughs> emphysema and cancer. Right. I don't really believe that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Former Governor Cuomo is one of the latest cases of accountability among public figures. Despite the overwhelming evidence against him, Cuomo put together this cringeworthy defense, complete with an equally nauseating photo montage. Other complainants raised against me questions that have sought to unfairly characterize and weaponize everyday interactions that I've had with any number of New Yorkers. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds if not thousands of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss people on the hand. I do embrace people. I do hug people, men and women. I do on occasion say, ciao bella. On occasion, I do slip and say sweetheart or darling or honey. I try to put people at ease. I try to make them smile. I try to connect with them. And I try to show my appreciation and my friendship. You know you're screwed when your only defense is making it sound like a very twisted version of Dr. Seuss. I kiss people on the hand. I kiss people on the head. Also, his defense is just a string of people he has assaulted. It's exactly, exactly. (laughs) No, I have been involved in politics a good part of my life. And there are other ways. I, I would be very uncomfortable if he touched my face like he did in a lot of those pictures. That would completely flip me out. Here's the thing. It's a power. It's a power thing. And he knows it. And when you're the person who is giving a, you know, physical affection in a way before you've established the trust and relationship that that would be normal within, then you, you're, you're forcing 
the power dynamic. And it, it doesn't matter that it's with another man or it's with another political leader. I would say all of those instances that he showed in that very long montage of him kissing people is him exerting his power by yep. being physically, you know, without being physical without consent. Like that's all that is. And it's the same thing when your grandmother does it to you when you're six, because she's in a position of power and that's, you know, whatever. It's not that, you know, she's, it's also affection, but like in his, in these instances, it's all about, or there's definitely an undertone of he's controlling that relationship. Cause who's going to say in public governor, don't touch me. Cause that's going to make the news. You know what I mean? And then it's going to be like, what's wrong with her or him or whomever, you know, Oh, were they abused? Why don't they, do they not like Italian people? Do they not like governors? Do they not like, I mean, it would suddenly become this whole big thing. So you just shut your mouth, let him touch your face and you go home and you freak out. <laughs> also don't put Bill Clinton in your video. If you're trying to defend yourself against sexual allegations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one thing that what bothered one of the many things that bothered me there is, is as as Michelle put it, the way he threw his father under the bus. Uh, Mario Cuomo was a great man, a great man. He would have been a great president. He would have been a great uh, Supreme Court justice. Uh, he had though he was talked about for both. Uh, he was uh, a governor of uh, of New York and a. One of, one of my favorite people that doesn't excuse any of Governor Cuomo, Governor Mario Cuomo doing those things, but don't use, don't, uh, as, as Michelle said, don't throw your father under the bus uh, for your, be as an excuse for your behavior. My Maybe. dad used to tell jokes. I've been doing the same thing. To, I've been doing the same thing to my dad for years. Are you telling the same jokes your father told? Just with a little professional twinge to it. Okay. <laughs> I just tweak them up a bit. <laughs> to understand my pillow CEO Mike Lindell's theory behind the alleged cyber hacking of voting machines in the 2020 election, it's important to get to know the man himself. And Jimmy Kimmel helps us do so in this clip. I did bring you a book, though. <laughs> you brought me a book. I read, I read your book, by you the way. You read it. I did read your well, book. Do you know that cover on there? That's where that was up 14 days with the drug dealers. I read it on my iPad. So. And they did an intervention on me. Yeah. And I came upstairs, downtown Minneapolis, came upstairs, and I said, uh, the one guy says, you know, you've been telling us for years this pillow thing is just a platform for God, and we're gonna and we want you to quit and come back and help us someday. You haven't <laughs> been at you haven't been home for a couple months back home in Minnesota. Is this true? Tell me yeah, if I have this. No, one. that's right. I've been working hard on this uh, the election and the machines and uh, and the machines. The, and we've heard a lot about yeah, the machines, yeah. but you were worried that someone is trying to kill you. Well, we've had, I've had threats, many, many, many threats. You have. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you started out as a bar owner in Minnesota, right? Well, I started out, uh, I was always kind of an entrepreneur. My sister flooded a third-story building of an apartment complex, so I became a carpet cleaner. You did a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You then got uh, addicted got to no. cocaine and then crack. Mm -hmm. You have a gambling problem. You supported yourself counting cards. Right. You um, smoked more crack. You would go to these casinos. You'd count cards. They'd throw you out. You were arrested multiple times. You had to sell your beloved bar. You yep. started making pillows, you quit smoking crack, you made millions of dollars, 
and then you fell in love with Donald Trump, and now here we are. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss anything? Um, well, you missed one thing. What on, did I miss? On January 16, 2009, by the grace of God, he did free me of all the addictions. Yes. And I woke up, I'm going, I'm looking around, I'm going, I was in into politics. I didn't know anything about what a conservative was, a liberal. I didn't know a filibuster from a millibuster. I didn't know anything. Some would say you still don't, Mike, to well, be that, honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, do say, I do say wash and not wash. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and, okay. And, so, uh, so, I, and uh, so I said if I ever ran, I'd put the R back in Washington, you know. Uh-huh. And, I'm not so much mad at Mike Lindell. You know, I'm mad at the guy who decided to lace his cocaine with PCP. He said he was working on the machine. I, I thought, is that, uh, is he talking about Florence in the machine? How's that for a current reference? A carpet cleaning machine. Okay. And has a credible history. I mean, you can, you can history predicts uh, future. So I'm impressed he's smart enough to count cards at the casino. <laughs> that that takes some skills <laughs> uh, said he counted him it didn't say he was got the right answer true true <laughs> one of the key allies of kyle rittenhouse inadvertently appeared to be the trial judge bruce schroeder in this clip we can see how at ease he is with talking about how the trial's recess could go on longer than planned what time do you want to say uh let's hope for one o'clock i don't know the uh hope the asian food isn't coming it's on, isn't on one of those boats in Long, uh, Long Beach Harbor. Um, but let's uh, aim for one o'clock. That judge seems like his opening joke at a speech at a legal conference would be, I went to go meet up with a childhood friend the other day, and I set off an Amber Alert. Trial courts are given a very wide latitude in terms of uh, things that they say on the bench that may be cringeworthy, uh, that may show that there's, uh, you know, some sort of uh, bias, but it really has to show that there's some sort of bias uh, against the defendant in that particular situation. So um, unless he made some sort of disparaging remark about Kyle or um, about the, the defense lawyer or somehow impacted upon his uh, right to counsel or his, uh, his due process, but just a, a guard variety racist statement made uh, <laughs> on the bench. Uh, I don't know that the uh, appellate courts would necessarily overturn a, a ruling based on that or, or force him to recuse himself. I think if he's going to joke like that, they at least need to tilt the camera like the old Batman villains. You know, <laughs> or follow that up with, am I right? And then let's give it up for the troops. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. With the rise in cases of the Delta variant, Meetings and important functions are still being held virtually. This provides opportunities to peek into one's private alter ego. As this Michigan judge discovered, when someone logged in with an alias for a court hearing over Zoom. Then we'll bring this fool in. Good morning, sir. What's your name? Me? Yeah, you. Yes. Nathaniel Saxon, sir. Your name's not Buttfucker3000, you yo-ho. Logging into my court with that as your screen name. Why well, that? that in a little bit. Uh, what kind of idiot logs into court like that? What's your name again? Nathaniel Saxon, sir, but I don't believe that I typed anything like that in. 
Well, that's what it says. Why? Well, I, I apologize. That should not yeah, be. you should. I'll put you in the waiting room. You can sit in limbo for a while and think about what you call yourself online. <laughs> I can just imagine that judge thinking, like, okay, how much longer till I retire? I love that the judge just said it. He didn't just say, your name is not what it says on screen. Like, he said it. <laughs> well, who's going to hold him in contempt? Himself? Like, <laughs> judges can do whatever the hell they want in those instances. I know. I know. That's partly why the country is where we are now. <laughs> then he went back and he told the judge that it was his sister's Zoom account. And he's sorry. And the judge uh, accepted that. <laughs> but it's his sister's computer, so she's the butt fucker. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, clearly his sister has an OnlyFans account. This is all coming together. <laughs> it sort of tracks, right? Um, yeah. Buttfucker3000 wow. was able to do what Buttfuckers1 through 2999 <laughs> couldn't. Zoom bomb a court hearing. Right. In conclusion, this week... Pope Francis made vaccines mandatory for everyone at the Vatican. If only there was a sign from God that said this vaccine was okay. There are a lot of celebrities using their platforms to question this vaccine, its efficacy, and any mandates. Singer Nicki Minaj cautioned her fans about getting the vaccine after a secondhand report about someone's testicles being swollen after they received the shot. I have to admit, my genitals were enlarged the day after I got the vaccine but that may have been because I spent a good portion of the day after I got my shot on Pornhub. <laughs> Eric Clapton announced he would not perform at any venue that required proof of vaccination to enter. To be fair, he is consistent in that he feels the same way about making sure windows are secured in rooms where his children play. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, oh. oh boy. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. With all the complaints of people who don't want to get the COVID vaccine feeling as though they're being ostracized and made social pariahs, they seem to be doing a good job doing that on their own. Heading to rallies and events to boast of their lack of protection, they may create not only their own social cliques, but their own separate vaccine-free colonies. These colonies will be open not to ridicule by the majority of the country who has had their vaccine, but curiosity the same way we stared through enclosures at zoos or through glass at museums looking at images of prehistoric man, our fascination by these vaccine-free colonies will be the subject of many university lectures and TV documentaries based on field studies where researchers, who keep at least six feet away from these unvaccinated colonists, study their behavior patterns. These behaviors will start off with complaining about how the COVID vaccine and the record needed to enter public places is a sign of tracking as they post on their social media, not only their thoughts, but the date, time, and location of where they're having these thoughts, as well as any of their like-minded buddies who happen to be in the same location. Gradually, the behavior of these vaccine-free colonists will devolve into animal-like behavior, frustrated how they are becoming a shrinking minority, not only because they see their peers taking the vaccine, but because their unvaccinated brethren are dying of COVID, they will become so enraged as to start flinging their own fecal matter at the vaccinated masses looking at them and snapping photos to their own self-made fencing. Their bizarre behavior won't stop there. No, given the unlikelihood they practice good hygiene, their shit-stained hands will become badges of honor, as odorous battle scars of combat with those who have been vaccinated. As another example of their outlandish behavior, 
These vaccine-free colonists will save their fecal matter for other uses. They will start applying it to their children's faces in lieu of eye black before sporting events against other regional vaccine-free colony youth sports teams. (laughs) Wow. This episode was written and hosted by Tom Myers with panelists Jeff Heisen, Abby Mello, Gina Brown, Michelle Wojcikowski, Mike Wally-Walter, Ward Morrow, Devine Kerr, Ken Water, Caitlin Rupert, Chip Jones, and Scott Reed. Theme music by your own Vandenberg. Executive producer, Tom Myers. Executive producer for IPM Nation, Matt Connerton. For more information, visit tommyers.us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want to listen to more of this episode, go ahead and subscribe to my Patreon. There you can get extended versions of episodes like this one, as well as bonus clips. You can even listen to regular episodes without all these pesky little ads through which you have to fast forward. Doesn't really cost that much. Plans as low as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Tom Myers, spelled M-Y-E-R-S. Show the love, subscribe, show your support today. That's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Hi, everyone. I'm Orb. I am not the official spokesperson for Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. A-A-Ron is tied up right now. Shut up, I'll untie you in a minute. Here at Oddly, we're producing some great shows. Bombing Run, where comedians compete to see who's Joker race. And Orb's Wacky World, a talk show with a mix of comedy, uncomfortable questions, and music hosted by yours truly. When you think of comedy, think of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y, Funny Productions. Now, how do I get out of here? Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.